The scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. It's page 1159 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. Hear now the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great plan that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let us pray. Father God, we stand before your word. Let us this morning receive from its wisdom blessings from above. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot to rename this sermon. It's actually, uh, that's the name, I in his wisdom is the name of last week's sermon. But it, uh, if you're somebody who keeps the titles, um, I would really title this sermon, Look Up and Receive. Here we are the third time in this prayer of Paul, and not the last time. I actually promised to return to it. Uh, we, we might step out of it next week, but um, as we've kind of warned you, this series might jump around at times as uh, Bruce and I uh, uh, preach it. It's because uh, there's so much material, there's so much uh, dense material in this that we, we want to do justice to the text. And my question today is, have you noticed it yet? What makes this second run-on sentence in the book of Ephesians so unique? And, and maybe some people are remembering when I did this with the previous uh, run-on sentence, and you'll say, well, the Trinity is in there, and you would be right, the Trinity... The, the Spirit of Wisdom is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, is in this prayer. But that's, that's actually not what I'm going to focus on today. Have you noticed it yet? Have you noticed the reality of this prayer that the Apostle Paul has put right before us? It actually was actually demonstrated in the pastoral prayer. In Bruce's prayer. Maybe this might get you to notice it. How or what do you normally or typically pray for? 
Have you noticed that Paul's prayer for this church doesn't contain any request for material blessings? Have you noticed that Paul's prayer for this church doesn't contain any requests for better health in the church? Have you noticed that Paul's prayer for this church doesn't contain any requests for jobs and for work, for stronger marriages and for rearing children? No, this opening prayer of Paul has really nothing of what we typically would call the horizontal level within the human spectrum. This prayer is actually very vertically minded. It's as if Paul is looking up into the heavens and he's saying, do you see? Do you see how beautiful our God is? Would you look at it with me? Our God is amazing. Look at it. Be awed and be blessed by Him. I remember when I began here at Old Goshenhoppen, and as, you know, we're, we're two and a half years into this relationship, and uh, one of the first things, I, I, I get these little stories about these quirks that I brought here, um, and one of the first ones I had, either, uh, it was either Nancy Cressman who's watching from home right now, or Joy, but um, it was on how I did the benediction. More specifically, how I offered the benediction. Most specifically, how I like to say, look up and receive the benediction. And I remember someone early on saying to my wife and I, is that because you come from like some Pentecostal background? You must have been like a Pentecostal, right? You're trying to, to get us to you know, move and have energy and look up. Which is really funny because the types of churches I traditionally have been in are the entire opposite end of the spectrum. I'm not saying uh, they're not brothers and sisters in the faith than my Pentecostal friends. Honestly, they are the most fun people to preach to because they, uh, a lot of amens, pastor. They get into it. But in my lifetime, I've traditionally been in churches that are frozen and know they are chosen. Where if somebody raises their hand in the worship service, you know they're calling for help. You need to tend to them. But the reason I advocate for you to look up for the benediction is because at the heart of faith, at the heart of good prayer, is being focused on a God suspended in hope above us. Paul demonstrates that in this prayer in verses 15 through 23 this morning. And while normally I'd like to take us through verse by verse in this passage, today we're going to look at it in a macro level. We're going to look at it from above. We're going to look at the practical difference of God-centered prayer and human-centered prayer. Prayer that is rooted in first looking to God and prayer that is focused on looking at the horizontal present troubles that surround us. There are six differences I actually want us to see in the difference. And it actually comes loosely based on a list that, that comes from a theologian John Calvin. But before I, I get into this list of six things, I want to I illustrate more concretely the dilemma here. It's, it's Valentine's Day. And so, let's imagine my wife says, well, I've made something for you. I've made a gift for you. I, I, I've, I have something I'm going to bless you with, but I've got to go get it. I've got to go get it. It's in the other room. And she gets up, and she, she stands up, and she goes for it. She goes to grab the gift. And all of a sudden, as she goes, I go, all of a sudden, I realize it's a nice, cold day. Hmm. I wonder if it's hot chocolate. 
Honey, honey, is that hot chocolate? I want hot chocolate. Please make it hot chocolate. I need hot chocolate as your gift. Please give me hot chocolate for your gift. I want hot chocolate. Make your gift hot chocolate. You're, you know, just up. And all of a sudden she comes out and she's crocheted me a beanie. How is she going to feel in that moment? How do I look in that moment? It's not the most comfortable situation, relationally speaking. And yet that illustration is a lot like how we are tempted to live our prayer lives. We get in this bad habit of not sounding like the Apostle Paul in this prayer. But we use those same hot chocolate patterns over and over again. See, Paul, he's crying out as he waits upon the Lord to deliver gifts to him, blessings to him. God, I'm thankful you're so generous. I'm thankful to be with you. I'm thankful that you love me. I'm thankful that you came down for me. I'm so thankful to have you. He's not yelling hot chocolate. But how do we tend to word our prayers? How are we most often focused? I, I think we cry out for hot chocolate more than we're willing to admit. And so we're going to consider six things. Six unique blessings that if we have a prayer life that's more focused on looking to God rather than looking to the horizontal, that we are truly blessed to receive more fully in this life. First, God-centered prayer it helps us learn to be more dependent upon God. See, human-centered prayer, of course, it, it tends to focus on the present situations. I, I think really the best illustration of this comes from Jesus in the garden on the night he was betrayed. And, and he lets his father know on a horizontal level what he's struggling with in that moment. Father, I, I don't want this to happen. If there's any other way, please give me another way. And yet, the reality is, the father, there was no other way. And so he, he ultimately ends with, but not my will, but yours. how there's this reality that when we look at prayer, we want to end it vertically minded. We want to put the emphasis in the vertical. Jesus made sure that the end of his prayer was not on the horizontal level of his present circumstances, but that um, it was primarily focused and looking to his dependence upon God. It's an illustration for us. Next, vertically focused prayer helps purify the desires of our heart. Our heart is desperately clueless when it comes to what's best for us. Uh, for this point, I love that um, Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayers. And all the song is about, if you have a little bit of country in it, you know the song. He's, he's at a high school football game. And he's brought his wife along. And he sees his old high school sweetheart. And he's remembering the song how he used, to, he used to pray that this woman would become his wife. And then, but he's standing there and he just like, he just realizes with these two women, God's unanswered prayer was so much better than ever being married to that woman would have been. 
It helps purify the desires of our heart when we're focused on remembering who our God is. We begin to able to say to God, well, I might not exactly know where we are headed together. I know who is with me. I know who is ultimately making the decisions. And you have a good ultimate plan for my life. A plan that will serve to benefit me in the end. So take me wherever you want to go. Next, the third point I'd like us to see on why prayer life like Paul in this passage is so important is that it puts God at the center, not us. Um, and it's important because it, in, that, in doing that, it can make us content in any situation. And truly, any situation. So as we've already said in this worship service at the beginning of the announcements, I got those calls in ministry you don't want to get on Saturday morning. Bruce letting me know that his mother-in-law had passed. And I spoke with Bobby. And you're sitting there, and everything on a horizontal level for her in that moment is not what you wanted it to be. I, I haven't experienced the loss of a parent. I've, I've been with my wife as she experienced the loss of her mother. It's a hard thing, I know. Um, it's not what she wanted it to be, a horizontal level. And, and, and not because she had, was just doing a stiff upper lip, not because she was just saying what she thought needed to be heard. She said it with a passion, a spirit-driven love for God. All she could say was how good God has been to her. That as we prayed two months ago for her mom to survive COVID and her health, that that brought her mom into her house. As Bruce and I would pray, and I know they were praying as a couple, for her to have a peaceful passing, she got to tell her mom, I love you, mom. And then she passed in her sleep. And so she just, she's just overwhelmed with the goodness of God. She's, she's just wanting me to know how gracious and good God has been to her in the last two months. And the only way you understand that is you give up the horizontal level and you focus on the vertical. You focus on looking up and seeing how wonderful the God who is at the center of all things is to us. Just as sailors in a stormy sea seek to look at the horizon and not the chaos of the waves, so we, the Christian, should look to God as our guiding horizon when the waves of life come crashing down upon us. The fourth thing that God-centered prayer blesses us with is it allows us to see God's generosity more clearly. I will say this from personal experiences. In seasons where my prayers are less specific and more God-centered, you begin to see the variety in which God answers prayer. And they never usually look like what you originally thought in the first place. You remember the day and age where there was no internet. And the highlight of the shopping year was right around just before Thanksgiving when all those catalogs would arrive. Except for people like Rob, who do not want to deliver that kind of mail. It's too heavy, right Rob? So, yes. That was the highlight. And of course, the creme de la creme catalog was the Sears catalog. That was like 
the catalog of catalogs. I'm not talking about Sears catalog today. That wasn't my favorite. My favorite was always the Sharper Image catalog. Because the Sharper Image catalog always had something in it you never knew existed. But then you decide, oh, I really want that. That's awesome. I need that in my life. God-centered prayer that's less specific allows itself to be surprised by God. It's ready for those unexpected surprises that God does. You know, you read of all these individuals in the Bible, and time and time again, they're always surprised. And we, we see their life from afar, and we see the unpredictability of it all. But never at the end of it, when especially those who died in the faith, we get the end of their story and say, oh, that was awful. We realize that God used all these moments whether it's Moses or Mary or Peter or Paul or Ruth or what have you. And while at times the pages of her life looked a little bit surprising, like a sharper image catalog, God has been doing amazing things all throughout. And so when our prayers are more God-centered, we get to discover an overarching generosity of God being both, both in the big and small things in life. And not just in the stories of those who have gone before us in faith and died in faith, but we see it in our own lives. Fifth, when our prayers are more focused on God, we can begin receiving blessings from God without guilt. What do we often do as adults when we're surprised by somebody's generosity? You know, Bruce always likes to pick on me with this, with a meal, but he's awful at getting free things from me too. So, you know, we both are terrible at it. It's like a human condition. We, we kind of get overwhelmed with generosity. Oh, you don't need to do that for me. Thinking of you right now, Judy, when I, last year, I gave you a gift for Christmas because of all you do here as treasurer. She is terribly underpaid, so you know. And she goes, why are you giving me a gift? A pastor's never given me a gift before. I just wanted to bless you. I remember before going out for our most recent trip, I had several people bless my family with things for the drive or, or gas money and these sorts of things. And, and, uh, and if we are more God-focused, we can receive those things better. But also, let's remember, and I pointed this out two sermons ago, when it comes to giving thanks, the Apostle Paul in all his prayers never is satisfied with just thanking the individual. No, rather, the highest compliment the Apostle Paul ever gives in Scripture of thanksgiving is when he links it to God. He rather, he'll tell, he'll tell the congregation, I thank God for you. Better than even the personal thank you now, though I need to get better at that. Um... Or mail, and, and that personal thank you note, of course, delivered by people like Rob, is the thank you, a powerful, prayerful heart focused on God, gives directly to God on behalf of the person. He doesn't say, hey, Ephesus, I want to thank you for being you. No, rather, the apostles' pattern of thanksgiving is say, Ephesus, I'm so thankful to God for you. I really, I don't practice that enough. And uh, maybe you don't practice that enough, too. I, I just thank God for individuals on a horizontal level. Sixth, and the final reason we should focus first and foremost on God in our prayer life, it announces to Him that we do have trust in Him. 
that we do have confidence in him, that we have true faith in him. We're Protestants. We're the people who believe we're saved in part by faith. It's not a faith that was first ours, but a faith given to us. We know that when we need it, not necessarily how we expect it, God will bless us and that his plans are better than ours and he'll give when he's ready to give. I'm sure that we can all think of struggles in our lives where we battled against what we thought about and asked God long enough that we we kind of get discouraged and yet God, in taking us out of our comfort zone, the farther away we get from it, ends up doing something incredibly faithful and beautiful down the road. And so as you can see, in these six items, there are many benefits to a God-focused and centered prayer life. And so then why is it so hard for us as the apostle to pray like the apostle Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1? And I think another point worth making, and we tend to forget this when we pray in a God-focused way, is that we are prone to think things like God doesn't really listen. He doesn't really hear our suggestions on a horizontal level. And so because he's not really hearing me on a horizontal level, I don't need to go to him vertically. But do you realize how terrible it is to give up on prayer for such reasons? My kids have asked me for quite some time, hey, Dad, can we get a smartphone? And the answer is going to be and will remain no. I'm not going to give my kids a smartphone. If you've made other decisions as a parent, I'm not criticizing it. My household, my wife and I are committed. We're not budging on it. No smartphone. Smartphones, I can confess this as a smartphone user. It, it, it can stunt growth at times. It has uh, things in it that are not beneficial. Things that uh, young children, I don't want them to have to navigate. So regardless, how many times they ask, it's going to be a No. But let's take this illustration a little bit further. Let's imagine my children, and now knowing I'm not going to give them the smartphone, decide I'm never going to talk to my father again. He didn't give that to me. I wanted it. I've been asking for it, asking for it, asking for it. He didn't give it. I'm done. I'm done talking with him. Is that a failure of me as a father? No, it's not a failure of me as a father. I, I, I withheld something from them for the good of their growth, their spiritual growth out of love for their soul. And if they knew all the information I believe I know about having that kind of device, especially as a young individual, I think they would come to the same conclusion. But it would be the child's immaturity. It would be the child's sin that had gotten the best of them at that moment. And so another reason for vertical prayer is we have to be careful with prayer. We have to... Make sure we're not asking for our own smartphones, metaphorically, to God in our prayers. Prayers focus primarily on our needs. It can fall into that trap a lot easier than vertically mindful prayer is. So that even if our Father in Heaven doesn't give us that thing we want, we won't allow that to embitter ourselves, or embitter our relationship that we have with Him. I remember my wife and I, one time going to the worst and most terrible of all restaurants. You know what I'm saying right now. Do you know the worst and most terrible? It's the most vile place I ever have occasionally gone to. And I speak, of course, of Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) A restaurant so bad that a rat being its mascot is not even up there as the worst thing about the restaurant. 
Chuck E. Cheese is awful. I really dislike Chuck E. Cheese. But back on topic, back on point. Okay. So my wife and I, one time, before we had this brood of children, we decided to babysit my brother's children for a week. And at the end of it was this mega Chuck E. Cheese event. We were going to go to Chuck E. Cheese. We had this, uh, well, I won't even go into that. But we got to Chuck E. Cheese. And of course, these are my nieces and nephews. They're part of my family. We bless out of our own finances this, this rat-filled celebration at Chuck E. Cheese. They have the coins and they go. And they go and they frolic and they play. And we refill their coins from time to time. And eventually, these kids come up to us. Well, I don't know. You know, can we have some coins too? We'd really like coins. And, you know, they have the hat and the quivering lip. They look like the kids from, uh, you know, the Grinch type of thing. Uh, and so, yeah, all right. You know, here's some coins. Then they come back again a little bit later after, you know, they played their air hockey. And so, we have some coins again. <sighs> all right. But this is the last time we're giving you coins, okay? Um, and then they come up a third time. And eventually I just say, you're not my children. You're not a part of my family. And because you're not a part of my family, I'm sorry. Uh, the gravy train is over. And, and that eventually also happened to my nieces and nephews. The gravy train of Chuck E. Cheese co- coins ended for them too. But the difference was... Those who were just coming to me were not a part of my family. They didn't come home with me. Or they just left me at that moment because I was no good for them anymore. Whereas my family, those connected to me, they were still content to ride home and to ride back to the house with me. Because even though they had finished this season of utter joy at the utterly worst restaurant in America, they knew that we're still family and we stay together. God doesn't want to feel used, just as I don't want to feel used at Chuck E. Cheese. And for the Christian, if that family bond is so strong with my nieces and nephews, for the Christian, we're called into a different family, a new kind of family. And our family bond is not just strong, it's perfectly unbreakable. Because the bond is held together through the strongest, steadfast love of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died the death we deserve to die because our sin required death so that we could be brought into life into God's family. And so that's why vertical prayer is so beautiful. We don't want to forget those things. Certain things can run out. Certain things, certain supplies can run out. The, the tokens for the Chuck E. Cheeses of your life and come to a dead end. But so long as we are a part of the family of God, we can move forward together. Do you remember that story of Job? At the beginning of the story of Job, Job already has the answer. When when it first starts collapsing for Job, he says, and Job, of course, he was the story of wealth, riches, and a wonderful family, and then he loses it. It's taken from him in a dramatic kind of way. And at the beginning, at the start of the book, even though he has lost it, at first he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then there's this period of time where really Job gets his eyes off the vertical. He's looking at the horizontal, partly by bad friends and and alike. 
But eventually at the end, even though God doesn't really give him an answer, he remembers the vertical relationship again. He really remembers where he was at the start. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. So Christian, for some of us, some of us this very weekend, God has taken away. God has taken away. And for others of us, God has given this weekend. And yet remember in every season, in seasons of plenty and in seasons of scarcity, that the name of the Lord is to be praised and blessed. And why is that so? Because God the Father allowed His Son to be stripped bare, down to nothing, down even into death, for the sake of cleansing us of our sins, so that you and I might ultimately receive everything we've ever desired, and far more than we could have ever imagined. It's going to be a lot better than a sharper image catalog. Through the name above all names, our precious Lord Jesus Christ, the truer Job, whose suffering saved his family. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that as we see the storms, as we see the chaos, you offer us a better horizon. You offer us a better hope. You offer us a better season to come in which every tear will be wiped away and all wickedness and evil will be subjected under your feet. We long for that day. We yearn for that day. Help us to be more mindful to pray wisely before that day comes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.